Uh, it's Charlie from Vexus. I was told to give Mike a call. Thanks for calling in so much. Hey, Mike. What's going on, man? Thanks for having me, bro. Of course, man. Your album is blowing my mind here. I can't wait to talk to you about that and get <laughs> stop. Get your opinion on a couple things. But um, yeah, let's let's get into it, man. Uh, this band, how did it come together? It was kind of out of the ashes of some other bands, and talk about the the formation of Vexes. Yeah. So. Um... You know, obviously, Justin and Bobby were in a band called A Life Once Lost for, you know, well over a decade, and they had a lot of success with that, and we were huge fans of those guys, but me and John had played together previously in a band called Vessel that we made a, we made one record, uh, we didn't, we, you know, we played a bunch of local shows, but never really did much with it. John, of course, comes from um, a band called Fury of Five which was big in kind of the East Coast hardcore movement of the, you know, mid to early 90s. But uh, we, had, we had met each other and played music for years in smaller bands. And when our last band kind of, you know, fell apart, we decided we were going to try to work on some riffs of his and maybe do something a little more in the, the, the Vexus vein. Yeah, we started demoing the material. We wrote a bunch of songs. We would just sit there for, you know, month after month and just collaborate. And eventually we had like this, you know, you know, piece of a record that we that we knew was was you know definitely uh something there was something to it but uh we didn't have any other band members so at the time john had said something like you know if we could ever get a drummer there's this guy justin that used to be in a, in a life once lost that's not too far from here uh, i'd love to uh hook up with him and that was kind of it he said it like haphazardly nothing went about and uh i wound up like facebook friending him and he was looking for a singer for a project that he was doing with bobby and I kind of just roped him in on the Vexus thing. I said, hey, you know, send me your stuff. I'd love to sing. Here's some stuff from our old band. And, you know, while we're at it, we're also looking for a drummer. <laughs> and nice. he was just like, oh, man, I love this stuff. And we, we just pulled him over on our side. And, uh, so we tracked the record with Justin. And then when the record was done, I don't know, I guess that took about maybe six months between kind of finding him, jamming out, and then having everybody complete the record. Then we found Bobby did vocals and uh yeah that's where we where we where we're at but now we never really i mean me and john never really we didn't really think anybody was going to hear this record you know, it was kind of a project that we didn't know if it was ever going to even amount to being you know a true band per se so all of it is is quite um unexpected you know what i mean yeah but it worked out so yeah i'm glad i'm glad you let the world hear it man because it, it, it's it, it's a great album and and i'm trying to wrap my head around it like i think one of the things i love is that all the songs you know we're so used to verse chorus bridge you know chorus 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 yeah. song fades out that ain't the way vexes plays man it, it's <laughs> songs start one way and then end a completely different way and there's all these really cool like soundscapes yeah. and and really cool oh, vibes man. in it. Uh, it was that something kind of like a, as a conscious effort to not have like the the stereotypical guitar solo like you guys have drum solos i feel like instead of guitar yeah, solos yeah. No, you know what? I think um, I think that's more just like the collaboration of, of us all together. You know, I come from a very, um, you know, musically structured background. I, you know, my whole life I wrote and, and sang songs and played guitar on songs that were very more of a typical structure. It's just what I grew up listening to and what I've, I became accustomed to writing. So I'm, I'm very more, you know, I'm more trained in that verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, and but John comes from a completely different background. And I think John was just really adamant about making sure that the songs weren't easily digested that way. And I think maybe, um, 
you know, with, with me being able to, you know, being a producer and, and being in the studio and working in it, being able to manipulate riffs and kind of turn them into a song and, and take different ideas and, and uh, you know, uh, complete it, so to speak. Uh, and then John, per se, you know, writing some kind of oddball things and having these ideas to stick things in places they shouldn't be <laughs> or where maybe naturally I wouldn't think they would fit. That's right. probably where the the best of both worlds come together. So it's kind of like, you know, we're not doing anything that a million other bands haven't done, but maybe those bands weren't, you know, so focused on, you know, a catchier chorus or uh, a package, so to speak. You know what I mean? So there's yeah. still four-minute songs, but I think that's why, maybe that's why people dig them so much is it appeals to kind of, you know, the people that are used to structuring and the people that maybe aren't, you know, best of both worlds, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, I, I'm being a radio guy, I'm certainly in, used to the song structure, but a lot of these songs yeah. were, were really grabbing me. And it's kind of ironic, too, because it was one of those days where I was kind of sitting down. All right, let me listen to everything that I've been waiting to listen to. And nothing, nothing was clicking with me. I was like, man, this is all garbage. And, and then I put <laughs> yeah. on your album and my wife came home and I started talking to her and she was like, you're not even listening to me, are you? And I was like, no, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've been hearing that for years. <laughs> <laughs> but she's like, what's this band? And, I, and so I started telling her about you guys. I'm like, I, I just discovered them. They're great. This and that. But uh, it was, it's kind of funny how how you fall in love with bands sometimes, like not even paying attention to it was kind of what got me to pay attention to it because everything was still happening behind my ears kind of, and it was still yeah, sucking totally. me in. One to get from um, you, I love uh, getting to talk to the singer because then I can get like a little song introduction. So I wanted to throw some titles at you and if you could work the song title into the kind of explanation of the song, what you were thinking about writing it lyrically, sure. anything like that, and basically introduce the tune. But uh, let's start with the album opener, Hellion. Okay, so um, it's actually pronounced Helion, ah. but uh, no, it's cool. It's cool. I, I would, I would, uh, I could see where you would, you would. Judas Priest, you like know? <laughs> yeah, totally, dude. I wish. I, now that I think about it, I'm like maybe I should just keep it that, uh, <laughs> you know, pronunciation. But no, that was actually the first song me and John wrote together with this project and with the demos. Um, and I think originally we came about, you know, we we came to this project thinking we were going to make things a lot heavier and maybe more of kind of that hardcore vibe and just really, you know, streamlined riffs and, and brutal. And then once we wrote this song, it, it was kind of like the only song we had that was like that. We kind of got bored of of doing that. So this song was kind of a restructure of some of the harder elements, and then the chorus wasn't originally what it was. Uh, we had that really cool bridge where um, we actually had a microphone set up in a bathroom about 30 feet from the guitar amp, and that's what you hear in that um, kind of softer middle section there. Ah. But... Um, yeah, but as far as lyrically, this song, um, you know, just essentially has to do with, uh, you know, being uh, content with what you have, but at the same time, for a lot of people, still feeling you're, like you're very alone, even when uh, other people from the outside think that you have kind of this, this perfect thing going. Um, you know, it, it, it points to just how everybody has their own internal struggles, and, uh, you know, people may think that they're, living the, the dream life or they have, you know, the dream job or the, the, the dream family. But in that specific person's mind, it's, you know, it, their mind is corrupted and they just can't see the, the worth of, of, of what they have. It's funny. I threw on the album on the way here, you know, going, listen to the album, knowing I'm going to talk to you and 
cranking it loud on the freeway and, you know, decisions are death here. And I'm going, man, what kind of job is that as I'm pulling onto the freeway? And I'm going, oh, wait, no, decisions are death here, too, man. But talk about yeah, that tune. Uh, yeah. Ironic how that title comes up when you're on the freeway. Yeah. In California. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, want, you want to know a little bit about that song? Yeah, absolutely. It's strange doing interviews for me because, you know, when you write a song, to, to have to explain it is a strange thing, only because sometimes there's not a whole lot to explain. Sometimes things might come out uh, and you didn't put a lot of thought or, 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 you know, into the actual writing or the lyrics. Some things are vague. This song was kind of like that, where we had all these different parts and what it ended up being was definitely not where it started. Um, but to me, I just really loved the chorus of this song. When we play it live, it's just really massive, and it's 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 kind of hard to play without a lot of emotion and and angst when you're playing this this song. But you know, this song has a lot of what um, what, what we enjoy. You know, we it's got its more um, ambient sections. You know, it, it it's rhythmically really neat. Um, it's got these emotional segues, and then it kind of again, has this bit of a structure as far as this uh, repeating chorus um, that, that, you know, kind of sticks in you. But uh, song-wise, this song is about um, kind of being in a, in a relationship, whether it be with specifically with a human or with something, uh, but having a specific relationship with something that you know is it's bad for you, it's poisonous, and you've just gotten to the point where you actually enjoy it. Uh, because of that, you know, you, you, you know, it's harmful for you. And um, that that might be why it's so intriguing and why you stick with it. Uh, and then, you know, the ultimate dangers of what that might bring um, to the people around you and to yourself. Um, but, it's, but it's basically saying you just don't care about all that that negativity in one specific relationship and um, the, the dangers of that to the people around you. Awesome, man. So kind of the, the moth to the flame kind of theory, like mm-hmm very totally, cool totally and uh I'm, I'm sure i'll butcher this one too and it's hard normally i just do like two or three songs but i, I love so many on the album that yeah no, I, i'm kind of curious about them uh plasticine? plasticine plasticine there we go yeah uh that's probably one of my favorite songs on the record it's definitely got a weird groove to it it's uh it's slower for us i think that's the one that we probably got the most uh backlash on on sounding like the deftones because <laughs> it's <laughs> It is very reminiscent of that, at least vocally, and the, the way the chords kind of run through it. But no, that's just kind of like the song that um, that uh, that came about really easily. You know, it just kind of had that groove to it. Melody-wise, everything was just really simple. Uh, the song just kind of wrote itself. Um, lyrically, it's a bit more vague than the others. Um, it's kind of about uh, being reborn again in a in a in your mind to uh, again not to kind of. Uh, say the same thing with the other one but kind of just to appreciate your surroundings and appreciate the good that you have and um you know with with all the the continuing decay that is building around us in this world um but yeah song wise uh, musically uh again kind of takes you through the, the full gamut of, of emotions you got a lot of heavy parts in there you got a little more uh spacey stuff um but definitely a banger definitely one of my favorites that we've written so that's plasticine bitching uh two more uh, lush 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 was probably the most um radio friendly i would say chorus we wrote you know that was a really early one that we put together before we kind of had the idea of where we wanted the band to go and what what we ultimately wanted it to kind of sound like 
but we really enjoyed that one. Um, the bridge was completely different than what we originally had written. Uh, it was much more uh, kind of like down picky and, and like a structured guitar. And we kind of made it a little more ethereal and um, ambient and just to kind of uh, take away from like the cheese factor of that. Dun, 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 you know, <laughs> just because we're not really that, that kind of chuggy, chuggy band. Yeah, really cool song. Lyrically, uh, about a, a personal relationship of mine where I had lost someone and uh, just trying to recover from uh, being adjusted to uh, a certain way of life for so long and then having something swept uh, from under you so quickly and, and learning to kind of you know go through the, the coping methods and then to, to learn how to live again, so to speak. But uh, yeah, really cool song. You know, it's probably my the one I would think people would like the least, and we've had maybe more um, good things to say about that song than any of the other ones. So, you know, just goes to show you, sometimes you just overthink your own music. <laughs> yeah, I bet. You know? I bet. Um, how about the the title track itself? I almost kind of feel like it's redundant, like Geometry is ancient, but Ancient Geometry, talk to me about that that title and that tune. The title of the record and the title of the last song on the record. But, yeah, that kind of just, I forget who had mentioned it. Maybe John did. But it was kind of just this name that was, out there with a few others that we were considering for a record title. Something about it just stuck. I mean, that, that ancient, you know, us being kind of in our, our, our mid-30s and, and, you know, especially from, you know, coming from bands that were successful in the past as far as Justin and Bobby, just kind of like refining ourselves and kind of not going back to our roots, but just changing maybe the direction that we, you know, both our bands had gone in for all those years. And just ancient being kind of just going back to our roots and really enjoying that kind of late 90s, early 2000s rock sound. And then with Geometry, you know, that just goes into all the different things that we put into the song in its entire form. It's it's somewhat simplistic in design, but there's just a lot of intricacies that go into it. And, um, you know, if one thing is off, it could, it could really change things. So just, you know, again, kind of that balance between complex and familiar you know what i you know what i mean mm -hmm. um, and that's kind of just how we felt the record sounded and we felt that the name fit it you know fit it, it it's just uh something feels familiar about these songs but at the same time it's kind of a fresh take on a lot of other genres and maybe a, a lot of other bands that we um you know we extremely look up to so awesome that's geometry is. i love it and when am i going to get to hear all this killer music live any tour plans I know Bobby and, and Justin, I think they toured for 12 years straight. And I think those guys paid maybe 200 shows every year for a decade. So I've learned a lot about what to do bad, um, you know, what, what I can do right and wrong as far as booking tours and where we go from here. And, you know, we're just at the point now where we're kind of taking in where people are enjoying the record the most. And we're starting to kind of put a, a blueprint together, so to speak of where we can visit. And um, again, when we made this record and uh, even when we started doing pre-orders, you know, we really didn't realize that that many people were going to hear it and that there would be such a good reception. So now all of a sudden, you know, we, we pre-sell all these records and we have all these people contacting us. We got to put together a tour here, you know, we got to kind of get back on, you know, back out on the road again. So we're just, you know, we're taking everything in and we're, seeing what cities would be the best place to visit. And, you know, fortunately, we're not in the position where, you know, we need to survive on touring. But at the same time, it's hard to be a band and push a record if you're not out there and, you know, playing cities and, and touring with bands that are somewhat successful. So I think it's just a matter of a few months of us finding the right tours with the right bands that we look up to, not burning out on $100 a night for two years. You know what I mean? But yeah. just doing things a little bit smarter and uh, making sense of more things and, and making a successful tour out of it. But I would say, 
in short form to answer your question, I would say about three to four months will be out there. Okay, killer, man. I can't can't wait to see it all live, and I appreciate the time. And just wanted to get your opinion on a couple of things here in, in wrapping up. Sure. 2018 is kind of, at, at this point, has kind of been the uh, farewell announcement year, it seems like. And <laughs> right. Curious for you, kind of, which one is, is, is hurting you the most? Which one's punching the, you in the gut the most out of kind of, I boiled it down to kind of three big ones. The final Warp Tour of 2018, that's happening. Also, okay. got Slayer calling it a final tour, and we've got Ozzy yet again doing another final tour. I know. Well, I don't know if I trust <laughs> Ozzy, because I feel like he's, uh, he'll never be done. I feel like he's always going out there until he's, at least until he's dead. Yeah, it doesn't but, even feel uh, real. Yeah, I mean, Warp Tour, I was more of like a Lollapalooza kid myself. I went to a few Warp Tours when I was real young, and I played a few with a, with a punk rock band in like the late, maybe like 2007, 2006. This is going back over 10 years, but... I would probably say the Slayer thing. You know, I remember my brother, my brother being much older than me, when he moved out of our parents' house, I was probably 11. And he left every Slayer record down there, Rain and Blood. I mean, the old Sam Hain record, Slayer, Celtic Frost. And I think um, my love for metal came from listening to those records and those CDs that he left behind. And he had an old Fender Strat and like a, you know, two Celestian old crate amp. And I just remember plugging that in and like hearing the distortion and then learning, you know, dead skin mask and, uh, you know, every Slayer song and every Metallica song on master of puppets that I could. So I, I mean, you know, Slayer calling it quits that maybe that just makes us feel old, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> Oh my God. But, uh, I, I think, um, they had such a huge impact on the scene. And, uh, I, I think every band could take, uh, a note from them on what to do right, you know? So I, out of those three, I think that's the biggest blow to me personally. Yeah, and I think man. maybe to the community, you know what I mean? Yeah, super bummed about that one, but I, I guess it'll kind of cement their legacy rather than staying at the party too long, as some people do. Yeah, I mean, I think, again, not to talk too much about it, but I think those guys, if they leave on a high note, I think that's a good thing, you know? Uh, the last thing I want to see is like Michael Jordan come back with the Wizards. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't know. There, there's something good to be said about knowing when to call it, and I think that it's the you know the appropriate time for them. I can only imagine how burnt they are on touring with families, and you know, being the age they are, um, you know, it just it, it's it gets tough, man. So they've had such a, a great um, you know history, and they've done so much for the for the metal community. Um, you know, yeah, that that's definitely the hardest thing for me. So. Yeah. Let me get you on a couple other things here. Um, we all know the big four, right? And speaking of Slayer, Metallica, Anthrax, yeah. Megadeth. So I, me being a radio guy, I kind of kind of started playing around and trying to think of like, well, what's next? Like the next big kind of rock movement, big impact. Yeah. And, and I've come up with the Flannel Five. Nice. So let me get your take on, on who would be your numero off of this Flannel Five list. We're talking Nirvana. Pearl Jam, Stone Temple Pilots, Soundgarden, Alice in Chains. So, what am I picking here? I'm picking your favorite off of the off of that list. Out of those five, oh, out of man, the flannel Jesus five, Christ. numero uno for you. All right. Well, I could I could cut, let me think about cutting them down. So, Stone Temple Pilots. I love Stone Temple Pilots, but they're out because they weren't too influential on me. I mean, I like their records, but. I wasn't trying to mimic the Delio guys or anything. Okay. Um, shit, Pearl Jam, again, great band, love Pearl Jam, but uh, they're out because I don't think they were as, uh, it wasn't such a dramatic hit, you know, hearing them like maybe Nirvana or Alice in Chains. 
Um, man, that's tough. Soundgarden. You know, Soundgarden were huge, man. I always, I always loved Soundgarden because I, I remember just listening to, um, I think it's Born on the Fourth of July. It was one of the yeah. latest songs on Super Unknown. And if, you know, I was, I was probably maybe sixteen when that record came out, so I didn't know too much about Bad Motor Finger. But I remember hearing how how low that song was, and you know, people are like, you know, like Corn came out, and they're all oh, they're so low and they're tuning. I'm like, dude, listen to Soundgarden. I'm like, those guys were lower than anybody. They were playing like in in B. Um, but I think, yeah, I think if I had to, I mean, Alice in Chains, Jerry Cantrell, the harmonies on those records, but I think Nirvana, just because um, they had such an impact on me, um, just just through that genre. I remember being really, really into the Black Album by Metallica, and I was probably 13 when that came out, 12, uh-huh. and, I, and I had it because I had been you know, introduced to the other Metallica records at a young age. But then I remember hearing Smells Like Teen, Teen Spirit on the radio, and I just remember at that point, like, oh, my God, it's not about technical. You know, it's not about being technical. It's not about, um, you know, these nine-minute solos. It's, it's really just about these emotions in the song. And although I never was a huge, like, in utero fan, you know, they were just so impactful on, on my childhood and maybe just at the age I was and how persuaded I was to that. But... It definitely got me to recognize that it's not always about, you know, being an amazing musician. It, it really, you know, half of it is, is being good at your craft, but maybe even more than half is just about connecting with people and writing songs that, um, that are, uh, you know, interesting, but at the same time simple and introduce a lot of people on how to play that music and how to just how to comprehend maybe a general rock song. So. If you had to boil it down to one song, pick a pick a Nirvana hit for me. Oh Jesus! Uh, well, I'd go off on Nevermind, but maybe um, uh, Jesus. I'm trying to think of what some of the song titles were. <laughs> Not the the most popular one. I would say maybe In Bloom. That chorus pedal was so sick for me. <laughs> like just, and again, the simplicity of those songs. You know, yeah, you hear that song and you just instantly know that era, that time. You know what I mean? It's yeah. just so it was so impactful in that moment, and the and you know the idea that those guys really were against it. You know what I mean? Makes it all that much more uh, interesting to me. It, you know that they fought with the production, and that they were kind of this small band that were that you know taken into this massive community just to get that famous that quick, and to just kind of introduce a new genre like that. It just must have been a, a, an absolutely amazing scary ride you know let me get you on one more i'm kind of kind of trying to work on the next the next one after that you know we go flannel five we got to go to the new metal and come up with one more so new metal six pack is kind of what i'm going with (laughs) so let me get you on this one this will be uh limp biscuit rage corn lincoln park slipknot and then i'm kind of toying with the the sixth spot is kind of open okay I'm not 100% sure about the sixth one, if that should be Deftones, but they don't want to be considered new metal, or if it should be, yeah. like, Disturbed, or maybe... Yeah. No, no, I wouldn't put Disturbed in there. I would say Deftones, maybe... System uh, of a Down? Stained was was really big at the time, when you really think about it. System of a Down? I don't know if I'd call System of a Down new metal, though. That was more like experimental new metal. I don't know. Papa Roach, but, maybe? Uh, yeah, that might not be bad. I, I think Deftones is a safe bet. I mean, those first two records were were pretty new metal. I mean, around the fur with a little, 
it was starting to go avant-garde there, but there were still a lot of elements to it that were rapping. And, yeah. You know what I mean? I think they were definitely in that movement. I would definitely stick Deftones in there. If Deftones are in there, then that's obviously my number one. You know, from an extremely young age, I remember listening to them. And I, and I remember, I mean, again, consequently, I, I know our record has been put alongside a lot of Deftones record, and people say that we sound a lot like them. But I just, I love that band so much, and I think... They they can't do any wrong. I mean, they've just they've just been so uh, evolutionary and just introducing you know the other side of things. You know, just when you think they're going to go somewhere, they go somewhere else. And you know, they never felt cheesy to me at any point. You know, like Limp Bizkit got cheesy. Yeah, uh, Lincoln Park had their cheesy records. Where when I say cheesy, I don't necessarily mean like a cheesy riff, but like you could just kind of see they were throwing in the towel. They were you know going through the motions, maybe like sides and yeah, and 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 they were just commercially they were really riding that that wave you know the deftones you know maybe back to school was that one song they made so that white pony would get the recognition on the radio but they never really went that way and they never had to and they've got so many fans and you know when i have people that tell me like oh yeah you're just a big deftones fan like here's adrenaline i'm like man you gotta visit some of those other records (laughs) people think deftones they don't know the deftones and they think the first record and it's like man there's just there's so much more art to them you know what i mean yeah um i just i absolutely adore them but if it wasn't them i would say corn believe it or not i was a big corn fan in high school for like a year and a half and again it went from like i think it went from that nirvana vibe to that and it kind of reintroduced me to heavy metal in a different light so to speak you know Mm -hmm. again not as technical but that low tuning and they had some really really good melodies their first and second record I think we all know after that it kind of went rogue, and again, I think the commercial the commercial people came calling, and they just were trying to write hits, and right. you know they they were making a lot of money, and and things changed. But yeah, those first two corn records, I I would say if it wasn't for Deftones, those guys should definitely be the forefront of the new metal title. You know, they brought the same thing that Nirvana did in a different way, but just raw emotion. You just I think. Ne- yeah, you just never heard anything like it, whether people liked it or not. It was just a a really new sound, you know, and Ross Robinson, I think at that time was just really instrumental to it. You know, he's a, he's a perfect example of, you know, like we made this record ourselves and we produced it and we mixed it ourselves. And fortunately I've been doing it long enough to where I kind of recognize how to do it. Yeah. At least in my own mind, I can get by doing that. But, you know, when you think of a lot of bands, you know, Deftones, I don't know if they could have made a record themselves. You know, I don't know if <laughs> right. Horn could have went in a room and, you know, those producers and those engineers do so much for these bands and they create that sound and they create, you know, Terry Date created that Deftones tone. Yeah. And, you know, Ross Robinson made that corn sound, that dry piccolo snare and just separated left and right guitars and not a lot of background music, you know, very emotional and, and right in your face. So, you know, I think people have to, to really give credit to the producers that are involved in those early records because just like Nirvana with Butch Vig, you know what I mean? Yeah. They would have never made that record the same if they had done it themselves or with a B-list producer, you know? Not that I'm saying that that's, you know, yeah, a different yeah. result would have been cool, but, you know, give credit where it's due. The producers back then were, were really incredible and they were really, really important for creating a sound and creating a direction for those bands. You know, and I think if there's one thing in music nowadays that we lack, good producers that have a vision for a band and know how to direct them 
to get that specific sound. That's why everything, unfortunately, just sounds the same nowadays, you know? Yeah, I feel like it's starting to kind of pick up again. I think that there are some bands out there kind of going back to those those big-time producers once again, and, and Howard Benson's making, you know, some metal records yeah. now and stuff. So I think that that's kind of cool. I got one last one for you, Charlie. One thing that, uh, speaking of the old days and something that I rail about all the time on the radio that I miss, it was popular when we were kids growing up and i thought it was such a perfect marriage like peanut butter and jelly coming together but i'm talking about movies and music and like all those killer soundtracks we used to have there you go there you go do you have a favorite soundtrack from back in the day that used to jam i believe it or not do you remember the movie the last action hero yeah with arnold with arnold schwarzenegger dude that that soundtrack was killer alice in chains megadeth anthrax I ACDC. listened to that record on, yeah, man, on, I listened to that and like, remember Beavis and Butthead, the movie? <laughs> yeah, Do America. I listened to that record, yeah, and Last Action Hero soundtrack in a Walkman on the way to like ninth grade for a year <laughs> straight. So I'd say that one, and then maybe if we were going out of the genre, the Garden State soundtrack, Zach Braff. Yeah, was like maybe mid '90s or late mid '90s. That was an awesome folk experimental, just really good songwriter soundtrack. So I would say Garden State, and then Last Action Hero. Man, it was killer. ACDC Big Gun. So I think it was a big single. Yeah, off dude, of that. you remember it? It was great. It's funny. I was talking to uh, Dave from the band Revocation, and that was his pick as well. Last was Action it really? Hero. Yeah. It's funny how that that was such a thing back in the day, and now we've kind of like you know, especially with you know, digital and people streaming. Like, that's just, it feels like a thing of the past, like movie soundtracks, you yeah, know? Yeah, I miss them, Especially man. rock ones. Like that, that Mad Max movie that came out a couple years ago was screaming for, like, a metal soundtrack behind it. They had the dude driving through the desert with, like, yeah, remember the that big guy? amps and everything. That, yeah, that was somebody, too. I forget who it was, but I remember reading an interview, and it was, it's like an ex-rocker for some band. But, that, yeah, I mean, that, you, that movie should have had a soundtrack with, you know, Slipknot and everyone else on it, like Korn and everyone yeah, that's that's the movie you could just always watch. Like if it's on, you're like, oh, what the hell? I'll just keep it on. <laughs> Love it's those, just, man. You know, movies. just visually, it's such a good movie. Absolutely. Well, dude, man, it, it's been a blast talking to you. Appreciate the time. Yeah, man. And then, like I said, once we're out in Cali, I'll definitely let you know, man. I, I really appreciate it. It means the world to us. So thank, thank you so much for any uh, any any attention. <laughs> it means everything. Absolutely, man. Best <laughs> of luck out there, and uh, we'll see you on the road. <laughs> All right, brother. Later. Later.